Hello and you are listening to Scar Joe A Go-Go, the podcast where I chronicle and dissect the films of Scarlett Johansson in chronological order. I'm Luke and this week I'm talking about Under the Skin. We're here to learn, not just to yawn, for our most loved celebrity. We'll watch the screen, what can we glean from her career trajectory? Cause she'd prefer if you'd refer to her as Miss Johansson. Don't be a jerk to Miss Johansson. Respect her work. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe go, go. Layers. Cakes have them, onions have them, Shrek had them, Star Wars even had one of them, and director Jonathan Glazer's eerie, artsy film, Under the Skin, is absolutely packed with them. How else do you describe a film which is essentially about an alien hiding under a skin while wearing an animal skin who hunts men who are interested in seeing more of a skin while she's not at all concerned about the look of their skin but very concerned about the contents of their skin. Layers upon layers upon layers upon layers and as Scarlet for the first time on screen sheds a few layers herself we are likewise going to strip back the layers of meaning here and dissect Scarlet's haunting performance and discover just what Under the Skin is really all about. But first, when we last left Scarlet, she spent about three minutes acting and about 20 minutes kissing in Joseph Gordon-Levitt's masturbatory fantasy Don John, a film that, for me at least, wasn't funny enough, engaging enough, or sadly smart or insightful enough to really leave much of an impact. I know not everybody agreed with me on that one, but rest assured, I always speak the truth. So I'm delighted now to switch to a film which uh, I really think is quite wonderful. So 2013's Under the Skin is really a very simple, even very familiar story, but it is presented in a challenging way. And it's challenging because, just like our protagonist here, um, the meaning is often veiled or obscured by something else. And we have to bring our own interpretations to the table and actively work to piece things together. But also at times it's challenging because it's challenging to watch because it is often quite slow and drawn out. It has very little dialogue. Um, There's no explanation. There's no hand-holding. You can sometimes feel like, you know, why am I watching this thing? It can feel quite mundane. But then certain images and ideas uh, are very confronting or unsettling within this film and really stick with you long after the viewing. And um, this is my second time watching it, and I appreciated it even more this time because I I had a much better sense of what was actually going on, and I appreciated it on a different level uh, to when I viewed it the first time because there's a lot of things to take in, a lot of different images to interpret and and kind of think about, and, you know, it just keeps moving and, and you have to keep up. So with all that said, really we have two possible approaches when talking about Under the Skin. It's like, do we analyze it like a first-time viewer, slowly piecing it together and only responding to information as it's revealed within the story? 
Or do we go in knowing exactly what the story is about and highlight the ways that this becomes evident throughout the film? And this really is a film where I think Scarlett's performance and the story are one and the same. You know, they're so entwined that I don't think there's really any way to talk about one without talking about the other. So after much deliberation, I'm going to choose the approach where we first reveal exactly what this story is about or else otherwise things are going to get extremely messy and involve a lot of backtracking later. Uh, but that means, of course, that this is going to be even more spoiler-filled than normal. Like, I'm literally about to spoil the film before we even start talking about it. So I really do implore you to watch it if you haven't already. Even if you didn't have any real intention to see this film, if you're a fan of this show, uh, I really think that this is a film you should definitely give a try. I think it's a really, really interesting performance for Scarlett. And um, from this point onwards, we're going to be spoiling. So I'm giving you an out. If you want to go watch the film, go watch the film. But I'm going to spoil it so that we can dig really deep. And look, you're also perhaps going to spot a contradiction here. As Scarlett feels like a blank slate at times, you know, walking through the world, simply observing, not appearing to do much, especially in the first half. And I've criticised directors and writers in the past for casting her and not giving her much to do. In fact, uh, I criticised Don John for this just last week. I've also criticised Woody Allen for robbing her of dialogue. And you might be asking, well, why is this any different? Why are you giving this a pass? And... I think firstly, this should illustrate that for me, there's really no hard rules at all. It's certainly, if uh, my opinion on a film is a feeling based on a film by film basis and really boils down to the overall tone and vision of the film as to whether I feel her role works. You know, whether the casting of Scarlett Johansson adds something meaningful to the film. And there's no question to me that her role here adds something meaningful. Um, because in many ways, you know, her role is the film. And this is a film which is full of both craft and conviction. And they're two things that really make a massive difference to me. You know, this film does come together in a meaningful way. And I do feel that Scarlett's character uh, and getting that balance just right with her is really crucial to its success. And also, um, on top of that, I think this is an excellent example of a role that really plays the Scarlet's strengths. She's very aptly cast here as what turns out to be the um, ultimate outsider. And we've seen so many shades of that before, her as the person who's outside looking in. Although maybe you could say in this one, she's an outsider who's inside looking out. Layers upon layers. So, here are the spoilers. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Scarlet, of course, plays an alien. Now, she is an alien who uh, wanders Earth, and her goal is to lure, or her job, I should say, is to lure in men who are then killed and used for meat. Now, this film is very, 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 very loosely based on a novel of the same name uh, in that it does uh, clearly state that the meat, the human meat, is a delicacy for the aliens. Uh, the meat aspect is really not played up to a big degree in the film, but it is there. Uh, that is kind of the end game in terms of what these aliens want. 
and she's kind of watched over by a superior, a controller, who is a man, a human-looking man, who I assume is also an alien, who drives a motorcycle. Uh, I know he never speaks in the film, but he's kind of like a supervisor who sets her on this path. And then over time, of course, um, her reactions and her feelings towards humanity begin to change, and this causes problems. So a very simple story, very familiar, but it really is all about the telling. And it's certainly told in a very interesting way. So uh, let's get into this right from the beginning. We start with a black void and a pinprick of light, which slowly gets closer as the eerie music swells and kind of becomes a bright star-like shape in the darkness. And we see circles, which kind of look like planets aligning. Um, I think there's so many ways to interpret these images. Um, the black void and the big white void are uh, two things that, two images that recur throughout the film. I initially read this as perhaps like a, a ship moving through space, something sort of reminding us of a spark of light in the, in the cold void. And we hear a female voice, and we're Scarlet scientists, we know this is Scarlet straight away. She's practicing sounds, repeating them back, she's learning words. On the screen, the brightness is eclipsed, and now it's a black circle in a white void, which becomes an eye staring back at us, a huge close-up of Scarlet's eye reflecting a pinpoint of white light. So this is a film which is definitely about both watching and being watched. The alien is staring directly at us. And we're going to be seeing a lot through this alien's eyes. I think even that idea of the alien's eyes are often seen as being black and having this little white spark of hope in them is kind of interesting too. And this theme continues as we cut to the blackness of the Scottish Moors and now the motorcyclist. This is the supervisor we were talking about is now a white dot moving moving through the blackness, which is the headlight of his motorcycle. So he's their leader, or at least their rule enforcer, and uh, very much seems to know what is going on at all times with Scarlet's character. And he's heading to a very specific spot, and we see him get off the bike, he retrieves a body from the darkness, a female body, carries her over his shoulder, and puts her into a white van. And we then cut... To this woman, the dead woman, or is she dead, staring ahead in a white void, completely white void. She's laying on her back, staring ahead, and naked Scarlett Johansson is here, and she's undressing this woman, taking all of her clothes. And it's all very matter-of-fact. Um, it's sort of shrouded by shadow a little bit, and the nudity really is very, very secondary to all this information that is on the screen. It's not a titillating scene. We're not looking at Scarlet's body. We're really trying to figure out what is going on here. And Scarlet looks very natural, and I guess ironically, human. And there's certainly a shift away from that blonde bombshell Scarlet that we've seen before. She's got shorter, black, curly hair. We haven't seen this Scarlet before. So Scarlet's taking her clothes, putting them on. She's obviously taking this woman's place. And while this happens, we see a close-up of the woman's face and a single tear appears to roll out of the woman's eye. 
Whereas Scarlet, though, is more interested in an ant that she plucks from the body and studies like she has never seen one before, which, of course, she hasn't. Now, I initially, when I saw this film for the first time, read this as a dead human woman who had been brought in so that Scarlet could take her place and wear her clothes, that this was a matter of practicality. I resisted the reading that this was an alien woman as well. Now, having seen the film again, I'm definitely leaning towards the idea that this uh, dead woman is, in fact, another alien who had a similar role as Scarlet and met a similar fate to what Scarlet has later on. This is an alien woman that was out to do a job and began to get overstimulated by humanity, began to have emotions that she hadn't had before, began to evolve and change and question and that perhaps that level of stimulus has shut her down in some way she hasn't been able to cope she's like the white crusty et the extraterrestrial lying at the bottom of the ditch in the woods cannot be on earth too long without really feeling the consequences And I think this is backed up by the way the motorcycle man studies Scarlet later and the way that Scarlet seems to kind of physically break down later on. And we'll talk about that when we get there. So uh, this is a job. It's obviously a routine that they've got in place. There are very set rules. This isn't the first time. And Scarlet is the new person who is going to go down to Earth and do this. And then we see a tall building and it's very, very subtle But um, up in the fog above it, lights move away from it in the sky. The motorcyclist leaves the van and he's on his way again. And it's now Scarlet's turn to drive. There's no verbal communication between them at all. And this is a task that she's obviously been trained to do, prepared to do. She takes to it straight away. We then see Scarlet walking through a mall, a crowded mall full of people. This film is set in Scotland. Did I mention that? Should have. It's pretty important. Uh, She's mostly seen from behind here, though. So we're definitely looking at the world through her perspective. It's kind of like that third-person, over-the-shoulder perspective that we often see, for example, when we're playing video games, which, of course, is a really excellent way to put us in the shoes of the character and to let us think about the surroundings filtered through the eyes of a character. And she chooses a fur coat. She picks out some cosmetics. Uh, There's more eye imagery this time. Uh, She's looking at herself in a compact mirror as she fixes up her lips. She's making her lips bright and red, kind of to blend in with the women that she saw in the mall. And I think the fur coat is an incredibly interesting choice. Not only is it very iconic for this character, but we talked about this film being about layers, and this is really another layer that protects her from exposing her true self. She's already an alien in a human skin who's wearing a layer of clothes and that wasn't enough for her. She's also picked up this big fur coat to protect her even more so. I also feel that is this something that's more comfortable for her, more comfortable to be in this animal skin and to break away from this human flesh that's underneath, to cover up her humanness and feel less human. Now we see through her perspective again, and the first hints of her hunting theme start to mix into the soundtrack. It's a wonderful piece of music. If you've seen the film, you recognize it instantly. And she's looking at a whole ton of men 
as they walk around the street. We're not seeing her face, it's just her perspective, a real montage of all these guys. And the camera still, when we go into the cab of the van, stays behind a shoulder for a lot of this, really putting us in the idea of seeing out through the eye that looked at us at the beginning. And when we do see her, she's very focused, very intense, still no dialogue. She really is just this strange, ethereal creature looking out at the world. And I feel in a way that there's an interesting echo when you look at her career, you look at previous episodes that we've done. How often have we seen her as a passenger in a car looking around at a strange place, whether it's Lost in Translation or... Um, I mean, there were plenty of films where she's in the car looking out the window, just taking in the sights, the outsider in a new world and that's exactly what's happening here apart from the fact that she's driving and her first line occurs as she asks a passerby for directions um, she says i'm looking for the m8 and she's got an english accent here i've often criticized her accents i think i criticized her accent even last week but uh, this one's really great and I think it's because the film's so natural, it feels almost like documentary style. And I also think that director Jonathan Glazer is just not going to let her get away with anything that doesn't sound right. And um, this is interesting in terms of the actual filming. Uh, apparently, quite a bit of these scenes where she talks to people on the street were done with hidden cameras. They were real people and they didn't know that she was Scarlett Johansson and they didn't know that a film was being made. It was only after it was filmed that they signed the releases. And I think one of the biggest takeaways about a performance in this film is the absolute courage that she shows. This is a very courageous Scarlett and it's not just doing things like the nudity or um, taking a risk on this weird small indie sci-fi thriller horror film. But even just as an A-list celebrity who's been working for nearly 20 years to put herself out on the street with hidden cameras and interact with people in character, I think is incredibly ballsy. Like, there's not many working actors that do that sort of stuff. I mean, that is serious Sasha Baron Cohen shit right there. You can imagine all the things she'd be feeling, like, are they going to recognize me? Are they going to see through the accent? Um, but she really manages to charm these people. And she's very charming and interested and, and flirty as she asks this guy questions about where he's going. And it's interesting because as soon as he's gone, she's straight-faced again. She's the Terminator, the alien, the, the otherworldly presence. I think that transition is really wonderful. And it's getting darker. There's more directions. And she's asking very specific questions. It feels flirty. It feels like the beginning of a porn movie. It's like she's driving around the bang bus or something. But her questions are really targeted. She asks about family. And when she hears that someone has a family, she's very keen to move on and to lose that flirtatiousness. Like, there's no attachments. They're looking for people that will not be missed. The sun sets, more directions, more questions about family. She's pleased that this guy that she finds has no family and offers him a ride. And there's a very nice, real, raw, improvisational feel to this as she prods for information about his circumstances as they're in the cab of the, the van together. Very much keeping her charm. It feels very real, very raw. And it's, again, I just, I love that this is a side of Scarlet we haven't seen before. We haven't seen this candid, real person. And God, this is post like Iron Man 2 and Avengers. You know, this is an actress that has already starred in one of the highest grossing movies 
in movie history as a big superhero character and is still able to fool people and inhabit this character, which is really very odd and unique. So is this guy going to get it? No. We cut away. That one's let go. It's dark now. The hunting theme is building. She's chatting to another man who she gives a lift to, laughing, smiling, flirty, still driving for information. And at their destination, she leads him into a house. Now, this is the first kill. And I say kill loosely because there's no violence in these scenes. Um, They take place in a black void. So every time she brings a man into this house, they enter a completely black void uh, of seemingly limitless space. And she walks away from him, slowly undressing, and he walks towards her. There's a good distance between them, and he's also undressing. So the layers of clothes are dropped. Her flesh-coloured top unzips at the back, which I think is a very interesting costuming choice. It's just like her ripped skin later on in the film. And it's seen in a puddle on the floor. And we often see this pink item of clothing in a puddle on the floor, And it's very reminiscent to me, like, of a piece of skin. It's like she's already peeling back these layers. He's completely naked and erect. At this stage, she's still just in jeans and a bra. And as he walks towards her, he sinks into the liquid floor and completely disappears. He's completely consumed. She can walk over the top of this surface. He can't. And once he disappears under the surface... Her job done, she pauses and she walks back towards the camera, picking up her clothes, which at this point are her figurative skin, her extra layers, her disguise, the thing that shields her true being. And she basically exits the scene by walking towards the camera. So how do we interpret this? I think on one level, I just absolutely love it as an incredibly wonderful, haunting visual device. Like you completely remember it and... If you went into this movie thinking that it was going to be a species-type film where um, an alien was going to suddenly attack men and it was going to be a horror thing, it's not. It's almost like this beautiful piece of choreography. Um, It's almost like theatre. It's very, very strange. Is it a figurative killing? Is this not what really happens? We're not literally seeing what happens, but it's really just a metaphor I don't know. Is it supposed to mimic the man's viewpoint where when he walks into this room, the only thing he can see, the only thing he can focus on is Scarlet? I'm not sure. But I do think this kind of beautiful visual dance between them is really something that elevates this film into being something else. It's the best directorial choice in the whole thing for me. And it subtly changes each time we see it. And we're going to talk about it some more. Maybe we'll get more sense of it as we go. So uh, she's back in the van driving at night, but we see her face reflected in her rear view mirror. We've talked about mirrors before, Film School 101. This is the false self. And um, we're looking at her looking through the mirror, I suppose, which are layers, people, layers upon layers. Now the beach scene. This is an infamous scene that will disturb you. It's a shitty, rocky Scottish beach. Scarlet, all rugged up, watches a man in a wetsuit who's in the ocean. He steps out and she questions him in the usual manner. But, uh, you know, finding out what his attachments are, etc. But there's a husband and wife and a baby also at the beach. And the the, the wife goes into the water in order to save the dog. But she gets caught in the waves, causing a 
husband to go after her. And then when he gets into trouble as well, the wetsuit guy stops talking to Scarlet and runs off to assist. Now, I, I love this that it's all shot from far away. The camera's really far back. These people are very small and insignificant in this big void of water, almost like the ant on the finger. You know, we're definitely seeing this from the alien perspective. We don't get close to these people. We don't get to know who they are. We couldn't even pick their face out of a, a lineup, but they're so far away. We're really watching their tiny head struggle from a distance, like they were inconsequential insects being washed down a drain or something. And the woman is lost with very little fanfare. She just kind of disappears. And we're so used to seeing a drowning scene in a film where the camera's right up in people's face and it's dramatic and the music's doing everything. This is just almost like a home movie of what would happen if you just shot it from the bank you know this huge life-changing moment has just happened for this family and it seems very small and inconsequential especially from Scarlett's viewpoint so the wetsuit man managed to manages to drag the husband back to the shore but the husband pushes away and goes back into the waves and does not return and Scarlett's hunting theme returns however as she approaches the exhausted wetsuit guy who's lying on the rocky shore, catching his breath, almost kind of out of it, and then with no emotion at all, still in a wide shot, very matter-of-fact, nothing dramatic or over-the-top about it, she just picks up one of the rocks and bashes in his head like it was absolutely nothing. And she then drags him away. And we're already completely disturbed by this. But if that was not enough, the, the crying, screaming baby is in the background. And it's just abandoned on the beach. He's crying as Scarlet drags the body away in front of him. And complete, she completely ignores the baby. It is absolutely inconsequential to her. It's not part of her routine. It's not part of the job. It's not what she's here to do. I imagine that if a seagull had flown down onto a rock and had started making a loud squawking noise it would be as inconsequential to her as the baby. It's a little animal that has no bearing on what she's here to do or her feelings. She's got no frame of reference for this thing. And there's a practical thing as, as well. I mean, if they're harvesting meat, this baby's just not ready yet. Not enough meat on it to make it worthwhile. And then we see her in the van with the limp body in the passenger seat. And then later, as it gets dark... The motorcyclist cleans up the evidence, but the baby is still crying alone on the beach in the dark. It's been there for God knows how many hours and it's just been left to fend for itself. So uh, try getting that image out of your head. That's really quite freaky. And then we're back in the van at night uh, and back to the cold, vacant Scarlet. And really, this film is never in a hurry. She spends a lot of time here uh, just driving around in the dark. Uh, she only leaves it in order to stalk a man, but he's caught up in a crowd of women and herded into a nightclub where she sort of slips unseen between the jostling bodies. And for her, it is all strobe blights, confusion. She sort of tries to escape. She sees uncomfortable by all this stimulus, stimuli. Uh, but ends up in a room which is completely, it's like a foyer kind of thing, it's, it's completely lit by red light, and still confused, she runs into a short man, and he makes a move on her. So she's already kind of off her game. Normally she's the predator, but this time he comes in, and 
hits on her. I thought it was interesting that this room was all red. I mean, red obviously usually signifies danger. Um, I, I thought it also was reminiscent of the little glimpse of the meat room that we're going to see in a moment. But, you know, she gets back on her feet pretty quickly. Like, the man is not the predator here. And she even, like, dwarfs him. He's, he's a small guy. And he thinks he's in control of the situation. But we definitely know that she's going to be the one that is the victor here. And sure enough, they go back to the Black Void and the hunt theme begins. He's shirtless. Now, she has allowed another layer to go this time. She's stripping back another layer at a time. And I didn't notice this the first time I watched it. I wasn't aware that there was actually a progression to this. Her jeans are gone this time as well. And interesting, even after taking off her jeans, she leaves the flesh-coloured top until last. So I really think that's a very deliberate recurring symbol. He walks towards her with an erection, he's naked. And this time, instead of facing away from him and walking away from him, she still walks away, but she walks backwards. So she watches him this time as he sinks into the water. So she's a more active participant in this one. And she's also allowed herself to strip down to her black underwear. I think there's no mistake that it's black either. We know later on that underneath it all, she is all black. And another great visual thing here, she, when she walks back, she walks over the top of him. We actually see his perspective under the liquid and he's looking up at her walking over the top as if she's walking over glass. And he is left alone there in the darkness in complete silence. And then we see the body of the previous victim. He's all bloated, but he does look to be alive. And they float together and the new guy touches the victim's hand. And he pops like a balloon and becomes a wisp of floating empty skin. And we spend a fair time just looking at and pondering this empty skin. And I think this is an absolutely killer image because you realize that that outer skin, whether it's the outer beauty or I mean, whatever it is, however you look, we make so many judgments on who people are based on that outer layer of skin, this one small part of them. And when you see it empty and just floating there in the water, you realize what a flimsy, insubstantial thing it is. The fact that we put so much emphasis on this thing. It's like caring about a sausage skin instead of the sausage. Like you don't look at the skin and think, here is a man. It's a discarded thing. Whatever he was, whoever he was, the true essence of this person is gone. The skin is just a thin film that hides our true selves and then we see the red meat the insides floating down a kind of conveyor belt into a bright red lit grate and this red light in the darkness becomes a white light in the redness so again they're being used for meat and she's definitely not interested in the outsides or the skin she wants to get into people's insides so back to scarlet in the rearview vision mirror of her van, uh, we're definitely a voyeur here watching her watch other people. A guy gives her a rose through the window and for a moment she's shocked because she realizes there's blood on her hand. Uh, and you know, that's 
the inside getting out. Uh, this is obviously something that's very alien to her. She's not used to seeing this red inside coming from herself, but it turns out that it's actually the man's blood. He's cut himself on the roses. And then stony face, she listens to a radio report about the missing family that uh, went missing on the beach, including the baby. And I, I feel like she seems definitely a little more erratic by the end of this, but what I love about the performance here is it's so subtle. It's very, very minor things. Even when very little is happening, you have to watch so carefully and, and really interpret what's happening here. She seems quite distracted by the people walking by now. And for the first time, she's watching women, not just men. She's watching older women. She's watching younger women. That first montage from her viewpoint was all men. This time it's women, as if she's growing more curious about their nature, looking for some kind of comparison between her and them. And when she's in the car with a new man, she's really not as effortlessly charming as she was at the beginning. Something is already starting to change within her. It's daytime now, and she's really glazed over and distracted, many voices in her head, and he says there's something wrong with her eyes and her lips. And of course, if that was an alien at the beginning, we, what was happening with her, her change, her emotion, her breakdown, was all showcased through the eyes with the tear. So, um... We think we're going to the Black Void. They go to the house. We are in the Black Void, but not with him. Instead, we see Scarlet adjusting her lipstick, you know, applying another layer of protection as the motorcyclist walks around her and very closely examines her. And she remains silent and still as he gets up really close and really stares into her eyes. So again, this is the scene which I really think is the one that makes that opening scene feel more like an alien. He's definitely looking for something and seems satisfied um, that they are black. It wasn't that sort of golden bright light thing that was starting to happen in the car. So satisfied with this, he leaves her. But we're very aware that she's being monitored and she needs to keep on task. Daylight, she walks through the city streets and she trips now, you'll all remember the meme. Oh, look, Scarlet fell over on the street. Let's make uh, funny pictures and captions about it. She's a big movie star. She's rich and she tripped. That's crazy. It's in the film. It was a deliberate trip. It was a scripted trip. But I'm um, apparently done with hidden cameras. And I think the trip is really interesting. It's an imperfect, non-rehearsed action. It's like the first sign of this alien's failure of succumbing to her environment and to all this stimuli around her to sort of breaking down. And she's almost like a toy robot because she falls and just stares like down at the pavement, which is about an inch away from her face. Like she just doesn't know what to do, doesn't know if she should get up or what should happen. And um, she'd probably remain there forever if it wasn't for people who awkwardly help her back to her feet. And she's more aware of people than ever now. And when we see this perspective again, the people that she's watching, it's not just men, it's women, it's children, old people, young people. We see all these various rituals, buying things, selling things, giving to charity, looking after children. We see her eyes golden and then the black starting to slide back into them. And quick images of people seen through her perspective and everything's gold and shiny and meshing together. It's a big blur of images and feelings and she's really there in the middle of it all, like she's in some kind of trance. It's like she's absorbing all this information, which is 
so apart from what she was here to do. And then when we go back to her hunting at night, there are more subtle changes here, like she's more desperate or drawn. A group of thugs attack her van and, and try and get in, but she really doesn't react to them. She just sort of calmly drives away, clearly distracted in, by her own thoughts. She's definitely becoming more insular at this point. She's kind of withdrawing within herself, like her true self. And I wonder if that's what happened to the other alien woman. Like she literally kind of broke, withdrew and broke down. Uh, and then after a quiet patch, she makes another attempt to talk to a man, but that initial charm is definitely strained. It's a little more fraught now. But it turns out her passenger, because the guy agrees to get a lift, this is the man with the deformed face. Now this is an actor who really has um, a medical deformity. He's got a rather large face and he agrees to get a ride with her. And when he reveals himself, when she sees the face, it seems to relax her a little more, like she's getting into a groove again. But the, the great thing is she's not reacting to his physical appearance at all. There's nothing unusual to her about this, because I guess, again, she has no frame of reference. This is just her job, and she doesn't see the deformity, which has caused him lots of problems with other people. And it's really a lovely scene between the two of them. Both are shrouded in darkness in the car. It's just very honest and raw. He's uncomfortable. She begins closing the net around him. But it's such a delicate balance, too, because she has to be driven. She has to get to her goal, but she also has to be sincere enough for him not to think that it's a trick. Because he's got that reluctance of, why is this person interested in me? And she has to make him feel comfortable, but at the same time get exactly what she wants. And she kind of does this by putting his hand on her face, which really breaks down that barrier. And just as he becomes more relaxed uh, and he begins to touch her voluntarily, the hunt music begins. So now that she has successfully baited him, she's intense and focused again, and they enter the black void. Really interesting, because there's a very shadowy black alien creature in the black void, and I don't know how to interpret it. Either the creature is watching this happen, is supervising, is making sure she's on track, or it's her true self watching, and we're cutting between who she is under the skin and who she appears to be to this man and there's a crossfade between the two at that at one point which goes from the shadowy black figure to Scarlet's face not positioned the same way but that certainly visually suggests that there is a, a very strong link between these two people she's in her black underwear he's naked but this time she takes it all off so she's lost a layer every time now she's naked. This is the closest she has been to revealing her true self. The clothes are discarded in layers on the floor. She's totally naked. It's gone. The full Johansson is walking away from him. The black shape watches. This is the first time we've seen someone in the black void since she was examined by the motorcyclist. So maybe that's why that presence here is there or this is the true self looking out through the skin. But we do not see the deformed man descend. Instead, we see Scarlet clothed again, walking through the dark house. There's nothing in this house, but now we're in actually a literal dark house. She stares at herself in a mirror in the darkness. Um, she's an inch away from it. It's a dirty mirror. It kind of blackens her face. 
Is she examining herself, seeing if things have changed in her own eyes, uh, confronting her true nature, trying to figure out who she is, how she fits into all this? We see a black fly trapped in the white void of a window. And this fly, of course, is another being that is caught inside an alien place where it doesn't belong and is trying to get out. So she releases the deformed man who heads naked off into the wilds and the motorcyclist, he knows this has happened straight away and he's on the case. His motorbike is heading out to find this dude. And when Scarlet leaves, she's no longer in the fur coat. She's abandoned that layer of protection. She's embracing her human side underneath and seems a lot more comfortable in her borrowed skin now. And meanwhile, the motorcyclist catches the deformed man and puts him in the trunk of a car. So he's cleaning up that loose end, but we know that he's going to come after Scarlet next. What she has done is contrary to the job that she's been given, and there are going to be consequences. So she returns to the beach, which is now rolling with white fog. This is the place where the horrible incident happened with the baby. This time, as she walks through the fog, She's pondering, she's taking in her surroundings, she's keeping an eye on the road, presumably for the motorcyclist. She's sort of looking out into this infinite void. She's like the fly trapped in the white. Uh, she responds to a bird. Even though she's in the void, she's now more aware than ever of the world around her. She's actually hearing these things and responding to these things that were just completely lost in the background before. And this next phase is really about her trying these new experiences. We see her sitting silently in a restaurant, which has a fantastic view out the window of these mountains. She gets a piece of cake, which she really views as if it's the first time she's ever seen one. It probably is. And she really awkwardly digs in with the fork, as though she's mimicking an action that she's seen somebody else do, but isn't entirely sure how to do it and very slowly brings this cake up to her mouth. And of course she chokes on it, she spits it out. She might want to fit in, she might want to mimic what the humans are doing, but she's physically incapable. Reminded me very much of the vampire kind of thing where the vampires are cursed to drink blood and they cannot eat normal food. Um, the best example of that, of course, is the hot chip in what we do in the shadows. But I thought that was interesting as well because these people, obviously, these aliens, eat meat and she cannot stomach this earth cake. It was some kind of baking cake, maybe, but not this thing. And then um, a wide shot of a small country town, green hills, there's a solitary man. Scarlet wanders around, waits by the bus, uh, sits with such purpose. I love this. Again, not like a huge dialogue performance, not a massive dramatic performance, but it is just incredibly subtle, calculated moves. Like, the way she sits down with such purpose looks to me like this is very deliberately another step forward. This is another step away from her job, her role, and into this new world. She looks dark and distressed here. She's got heavy circles under her eyes. She seems very despondent and distracted when she gets on the bus and the man sitting behind her tries to sister and then I guess out of desperation she accepts his help and we have this really mundane set of scenes where he carries out mundane tasks he goes shopping he makes dinner he washes dishes and this is the first time she's been led somewhere she's been led into a stranger's house she's seeing all these things they watch tv it's a comedy thing and she just stares at it intently her eyes darting back and forth trying to take in all this new information she has so much presence 
in this film for me. And it's great because she's doing so much with very little. He leaves her in her room alone, in the guest room. And this is the naked scene where she just lit by a red um, bar heater. I think that's interesting. Kind of reminded me of the meat grate. And this is the scene where she cautiously approaches a full-length mirror and examines her naked body for the first time, checking out her false skin, fascinated by every part of it, touching her neck, kind of looking at all the different bits and pieces, really getting familiar with this new form. And I think for a first, like, proper big nude scene, like, what a perfect film to do it in. Like, what a perfect situation. This wasn't some, you know, Michael Bay sex scene in the island where this asexual character suddenly has sex with Ewan McGregor and has boobs bouncing around everywhere. This is something that is so tied to the story and the character's journey. And you're not even thinking about the nudity. It's just a really engaging, gripping mysterious character study. I love it. There are four motorcyclists now, more than one enforcer, and they are approaching. So Scarlet and the man, they walk through the woods. He carries her over a puddle. Uh, He leads her um, very reluctantly. She doesn't want to go with him into the ruins of a castle. She's having all these new experiences. She's having to trust somebody. She's never done this before. Back at home in his room, they kiss and she offers herself to him. This is her first real human contact. This is the sex scene, which begins really quite tender as they sort of discover and submit to each other. But something isn't right. And I didn't even pick this up until the second viewing. He is unable to enter her. He's really struggling to penetrate her. She begins to realize that he's not able to do it. She puts her hand down and suddenly pushes him away, sits on the end of the bed, gets a lamp, examines herself. It's left to our interpretation, but, you know, she's wearing human skin. She's not human. She doesn't have internal human parts. She's not built to reproduce with the earthlings. That's not her job. She is physically incapable of doing this. She doesn't have a vagina. And I thought her reaction here was interesting because she just walks up to the wall and just stands staring at the wall, her face like an inch away from it. Almost like when she tripped over and was just staring at the ground. It's that toy robot breaking down again. It's like a couple more of these shocks and motorcycle men will be pulling her out of a ditch and uh, a new person will be taking her clothes. So final sequence here. She escapes into the woods, alone again, wandering around, and uh, a logger guy in a high-vis vest warns her to be careful as she wanders around, says, you know, take care of yourself out there. She's huddled in a jacket again, protecting herself, hiding a human skin. She finds a public shelter in the woods. It's a little hut, and she goes in and falls asleep. We haven't seen her sleep before. We haven't seen that kind of need. I wonder if this, had she not been interrupted, would be where the motorcycle men would find her, just laying here, completely defeated and shut down. And I just wanted to say, like, I really felt this watching this scene. Although she hasn't said much, she's really a character here. Like, it's so hard for me to find Scarlett Johansson, the A-list American movie star, anywhere in this film. This is a new, unique creation. I'm 
enjoying her character and I'm enjoying the story and I'm not thinking about her real life persona. And I can't say that for many of the films that she's been in. So she sleeps, she dreams, the trees wrestle around her, but she wakes up to this fucking logger touching her leg. She escapes, she runs into the woods and hides, now actually genuinely frightened and vulnerable. The hunter has become the hunted. We haven't seen this side of her before. And eventually, he catches up with her, finds her hiding spot, chases her through the woods. It's all silent at first. It's just her cries, the running. But then when he grabs her, grapples her to the ground, her hunting music begins. But now he is the one in control. He's trying to undress her, ripping off the layers, trying to get to her skin. But as he rips layer and layer off her, and she almost seems to start to accept it, just looking blankly to the sky, which, oh, fuck, see? I didn't get that until right now. I was thinking, like, why does she suddenly, when he starts taking off her clothes, just lay there and submit and stare up at the sky? It's because that's what happens when these aliens are decommissioned. She's taken the role of the alien in the first place. She puts up the fight until she's in the position that that woman is in at the beginning and getting her clothes taken off. And she realizes, that's it. My time's done. The cycle's going to continue. Except it doesn't because he has ripped one layer too many and the back of her back, her actual skin on her back, is ripped open and there is a black alien creature underneath. The logger's disgusted at her true self. He runs off. Scarlet takes off her own skin, peels it all off, and underneath she is a black onyx alien, which has the sort of same facial features but no ears. And she looks down at her own human face, which is in her hands, and it blinks back at her. And she's pondering her own human face as her real self looks at her false self for the first time, not through the aid of a mirror, the logger returns, covers her with petrol and sets her on fire and she staggers through the woods carrying her fake face protectively in her hand, running into the snow. And then in a long shot, she drops to the ground and burns. We see a shot of the motorcyclist standing alone. He's in a long shot. He's on top of a snowy ridge. And then when we cut back to her, she's nothing more than a black pile of ash, still on flame, on fire. Uh, black smoke is freed from her body, rising upwards into the white void, mixing with the snow. So she's no longer trapped by any skin. Both skins have been destroyed. Both bodies are gone. And her real inside, which wasn't the human skin, and it wasn't even the alien skin underneath... Her real inside, which is this, I guess, intangible, wispy thing uh, here, represented by smoke and ash. The smoke spreads into the sky and the ash falls down towards the camera. And that's the end of the film. Holy shit. I really love this film. I wasn't that sure about it the first time I watched it. Like, I really enjoyed it, but I, I didn't get it as much as I needed to. Like, I didn't put enough pieces together to really appreciate it. And now I just think, wow, like, that's when you appreciate 
craft that you can take a story which is a pretty simple story it's an alien story we've seen a billion times before you can take an actress that we've seen a billion times before and just through the craft of filmmaking just your choices of shot and dialogue and all the visual invention in here the performances just everything the music you can make it into a story that you've never ever seen before in conclusion, this is a wonderful, haunting, challenging film with a very iconic and courageous performance from Scarlett Johansson. You know, this is the point where she's more comfortable and in control and taking risks and doing really interesting stuff, than, like more so than ever before. This is so exciting. And if she's able to keep doing these kind of films like challenging, unique films in between all the superhero stuff and everything, then I am really excited and hope that we have another 34 episodes and more in the future. So, why was she cast? You know, look, this is a role where looks really are important. Like, she needs to be attractive enough to lure in the prey. They have to physically desire her, but she's also the epitome of the outsider. Uh, you know, the role that Scarlett has excelled at playing in the past. And it's also just unexpected that you're going to get this A-list movie star doing this small Scottish sci-fi movie and is going to um, just rock it as much as she does. This film is all about this wonderful, specific vision that all comes together in a really satisfying way. You might not understand it the first time, but once it clicks, it's fantastic. Scar Cabulary, what word or phrase did we learn today? Has to be the full Johansson. This is the first film where she goes the full Johansson strategically before having a child. If this is all we ever get, it was a pretty great film to do it in. Three greatest feats conveyed so much with so very little, more so than ever before. I, I know I've said that as a greatest feat before, but that's something that's really worth uh, remembering her for. Two, really created a character, really embodied this strange alien person that made you forget you were watching A-lister Scarlett Johansson. That's got to be the ultimate goal for an actor, and I think she really succeeded here. Three, did the full Johansson in a non-titillating, non-objectifying way, which actually added to the story and was meaningful. Not many actresses get the opportunity to do that. She absolutely nailed it, and I loved it. Next time, this one was all about the body. Next time's all about the voice, as Scarlett becomes a disembodied perfect partner in Spike Jones's Jones's Jones's. I'm gonna have to learn that before the episode, aren't I? In his film. Her, another risky, weird, unique performance. Um, we are in the golden age of Scarlett Johansson right now. This is an exciting time to be doing a very, very specific podcast. Speaking of podcasts, please listen to my other shows. Thank you for listening to this one. Listen to the Book Was Better podcast and FPcast, which is a general pop culture podcast all those other shows have guest hosts it's not just me talking um it's a, they're a lot funnier as well so do listen to those you can find them all at www.fruitlesspursuits.com and also geekvision.tv and one more request this week we officially launched our uh, patreon page 
where you can go and subscribe and support these shows. Now, if you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Fruitless Pursuits, you can become a patron. For $2 a month, you will get our absolute thanks for the rest of your life. Or for $5 a month, you will get bonus content, extra shows. Now, you won't get anything extra for Scarlett Johansson because obviously there's a limited number of films and I want to keep all the regular shows free, but you will get special edition episodes of FPCast. Uh, There's one up right now. If you subscribe now, you will get our hour and 25 minute chat about Avengers Age of Ultron, spoiler filled, where we talk about all those things that happened in that. There'll be more throughout the year. I'm hoping to do Jurassic World, Force Awakens, Ant-Man. Lots of special shows there. The Marvel TV, Netflix stuff. And also, if you're a Book Was Better fan, you can get episodes of Book Was Better TV where we do television novelizations. Things like Sabrina the Teenage Witch or X-Files or Degrassi Junior High. There are going to be a few of those episodes a year just for our patrons. So um, if you appreciate the hard work that goes into these and love all that, and you know, you're in a position where you're able to go, yeah, five bucks a month. Sure. I don't already have a billion fucking other things I'm subscribed to. So yeah, I'll just handball that as well. Like if you're an adult with a job and stuff like that, and you can spare it, would be eternally grateful. Thanks again for listening. Uh, I really would love to get your thoughts on Under the Skin. Come onto the Facebook page and let me know. And um, I'll see you next week for her. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe, go, go.